iHeartRadio.com. It is Friday, the 4th of August. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make us true followers, O Lord. You emptied yourself that you might fill others with life. Deepen in all pastors a self-sacrificing love for their people. You came not to be served, but to serve. Strengthen those who do works of service against all temptation to pursue personal gain. You gave your life as a ransom for many. Grant courage to those who are called to spend their lives in tireless dedication to pastoral ministry of every kind. God of power and love, you made the humble cure of ours powerful in holiness, in prayer, and in self-forgetful service of your people. Through his intercession and example, fill all your people with that love which wins devoted followers for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. St. John Vianney, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along on a Friday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Steve Ray will be joining us. He's got a new book on Genesis that's out from Ignatius Press, and we'll get into that a little bit. Danielle Bean will discuss supporting your kids who either... Uh, are going or have gone on short-term missions or retreats, or maybe they're even at World Youth Day as we speak right now. How to support your kids uh, who are on those kinds of trips. Ken Craycraft will discuss Issue 1 in Ohio. Now, this is an issue that uh, would affect whether you need a majority of a bigger type than like 50% to make changes to Ohio laws. And what does that have to do with a whole bunch of things? Well, Ken's going to unpack it. It's a little confusing, but he'll uh, he'll help make sense of it all. And then Father Hezekiah Carnazzo will join us from the Institute of Catholic Culture to preview the Sunday Mass readings. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has another full day on his pilgrimage to Lisbon for World Youth Day. Earlier today, the Holy Father spent some time hearing the confessions of young people and is meeting with representatives of charitable and other aid agencies in Portugal. Later today, he will be presiding over the Way of the Cross with World Youth Day pilgrims. Yesterday, the Holy Father met with university students, telling them there is no future without God. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The Pope encouraged them to embrace their faith and take risks to change the world. The Holy Father's remarks came after listening to students' testimonies. Make your faith credible through your choices, the Pope told them. 
For unless faith gives rise to convincing lifestyles, the Pope said it will not be a leaven in the world. It is not enough for us Christians to be convinced, he explained, saying we must also be convincing. Our actions, the Holy Father exhorted, are called to reflect joyfully and radically the beauty of the gospel. He also urged them to be amazed by the beauty of Christ revealed through every brother and sister, every man and woman, and also told the students the contribution of women is indeed essential. La contribución femenina es indispensable. The Pope went on to recall that the Global Compact on Education, with its seven overarching principles, encompasses many key issues to which he urged the students to dedicate their attention. I encourage you to study the Global Compact and to become enthusiastic about its contents, he said. Pope Francis appealed to the young people to protect the environment. We must recognize, he said, the dramatic urgency of caring for our common home. He said, in the name of progress, there has been too much regression. The Holy Father, who had met with Ukrainian young pilgrims prior to the encounter, also pointed to the wars plaguing the world, saying that we are experiencing a third world war in pieces. But, he said, we embrace the risk of thinking that we are not in agony, but in childbirth, not at the end, but at the beginning of something great. Pope Francis urged the university students not to be paralyzed by fear and rather to transform their fears into dreams. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A national network of pregnancy centers is celebrating a victory in court with a judge putting in an injunction to block enforcement of a new law in Illinois that targeted pro-life pregnancy centers because they are pro-life and anti-abortion. The Thomas More Society was representing NIFLA. Executive Vice President and Head of Litigation Peter Breen said in a statement, quote, Across the nation, pregnancy help ministries are being discriminated against by laws that target their life-affirming work. The injunction granted sends a strong, clear message to the country that the First Amendment protects pro-life speech, end quote. Former President Trump is pleading not guilty to trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Trump appeared in a Washington, D.C. federal courtroom yesterday Following his indictment earlier this week, he's facing four counts, including conspiracy to defraud the U.S. The Department of Justice claims the 2021 Capitol riot was fueled by Trump. Trump says the charges are an attempt by President Biden to interfere with the upcoming presidential election. The first hearing in the case is scheduled for August 28th. The man convicted of killing 11 people at a Pittsburgh synagogue has been sentenced to death. A federal jury reached a unanimous decision yet on Wednesday recommending the death sentence for Robert Bowers and a judge handed down the sentence formally yesterday. Bowers was convicted in June on more than 60 charges in the 2018 shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is warning of global food insecurity caused by Russia's war in Ukraine. Mark Mayfield has more. In remarks before the United Nations, Blinken called out Moscow for pulling out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which allowed Ukrainian exports of grain to continue. Blinken said grain prices jumped by more than 8 percent since Russia's decision several weeks ago. He said Russia's weaponization of food harms millions of vulnerable people around the globe. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the Cleveland Browns stormed back from a nine-point halftime deficit to defeat the New York Jets 21-16 in the 2023 Hall of Fame game. Matt, did you know that there was football last night? I didn't until I turned on sports radio last night on my way to uh, 
to go fishing a little bit, and I heard people talking about, you know, betting lines. I'm like, golly day, betting on, lines on a preseason game. On a preseason game. You got a problem. Wow. You got a problem. Oh, I don't know why this well, is. Well, that Anna would Mitchell, be. Actually. I mean, that's really gambling because I. I mean, I don't know. I was. I didn't watch the game, but I'm assuming that there were very few of the like big names. Like, I'm betting Aaron Rodgers did not play last night. Paul Lockman, can you can you confirm or Paul deny? Paul can probably verify that he. He's like, no, he did not play. Series. So of, uh, warmups. So it's like. You are really taking a risk betting on a game like that. Where so there are other things happening here, Anna Mitchell. Mm-hmm. One is that it's hard to get excited about preseason football the way that you get excited about spring training baseball. Because spring training baseball happens when nothing is going on and you're finally heralding the warming up of the world. Oh, I know. It's like, it happens with thing. Lent, right? So you've yeah. got that spiritual parallel with you preparing – for the Easter season, mm-hmm. preseason football is just like, hey man, I'm in the middle of a cool baseball season. What's these? Uh, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you Although, intruding with these football games that don't matter and trying I to mean, make me care about them? Come on, our Reds are not exactly making me want to pay attention to baseball at the ah, moment. We had a rough week. At the moment, it's been a rough the Cubbies, week. It's the been Cubbies, the Cubbies got us week. good. Yeah. The Cubbies got us good, but we're not done. There's we're a lot of done. baseball to be had. Well, that's for sure. Baseball will be going to like Thanksgiving this year. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for joining us. Steve Ray is now along, and he's written a number of books, but the one that we've been uh, excited to to hear about, because he's been working on it for a while, is his book on Genesis, which just came out from Ignatius Press. Steve, good morning. Good afternoon, Matt. I'm in Warsaw, Poland, but I know it's morning for you guys. Well, I should know never to tell you a good any time of day, because I feel like every time we talk to you, you're somewhere else. Uh, but let's talk about this book of Genesis. A lot of people who are like, I'm going to sit down and read the Bible. This is where they start. And in some ways, anybody can pick up Genesis and sort of tell what's going on. In other ways, my goodness, people need some help to figure out what's going on. Well, it's a big book. It's 50 chapters long, second longest book in the Bible. Jeremiah is the longest book, by the way. And as the longest book, people start reading it. It's about cultures and things that are maybe unfamiliar to them. And they get bogged down in it, and by the time they get to others, they just give up. But it's really Genesis is probably one of the most wonderfully written, exquisite literature ever written. And when you start to understand the way that the events flow together, and especially the characters of the last 40 chapters, it really is exquisite. And the story is profoundly moving and beautiful. And when I got done writing it, I felt sad because it was like saying goodbye to this these characters. I wanted to start all over again. But yeah, you're right. But it is a beautiful book. And I wrote the commentary on Genesis. I've been told that it reads like a novel, and it helps you understand the meaning and the deeper implications of things. But yet, it, it uh, I've had people say they had tears in their eyes at parts of the book as they read it. Well, a commentary on Genesis ought to read a little bit like a novel, because Genesis itself reads like a novel. I mean, it is... Uh, this massive story, and a story that takes us up right to the doorstep of one of the most central events in salvation history, which is the whole question of the Exodus, right, and Moses and all right. of that. Right. So if you could, uh, you know, if, if you were to just hit the plot points of what Genesis takes us through, what are the major plot points of that story that leads us up to Moses' uh, you know, papyrus basket? Well, it's really easy. It's just eight points. 
the, uh, divide Genesis into two parts, 1 through 11, and that's called prehistory. It's like creation and the flood, things that we don't have specific dates for. And then chapter 12 through 50 are four major characters. So I, d- I divide it up this way. It makes it really easy for people. The first 11 chapters are creation, fall, flood, and the Tower of Babel. And you remember those four, you've got the first part of Genesis down, creation, fall, flood, and Babel. Now, the last 40 chapters are four marvelous characters. You see God beginning to work with men, being covenants, and uh, fulfilling his will. You've got Abraham, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, his great-grandson Joseph. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And there you've got in eight points the whole story of Genesis and the summation. And when you get to Joseph, you've got all of the tribes of Israel, and that's yep. going to be majorly important for the whole rest yep. of the Bible moving forward. I mean, there's just yep, a lot here. because they get sent down into Egypt. Yep, they get sent right, down exactly. into Egypt, and 400 years later, Moses brings up. But Joseph, you know, he gets kind of short-shrifted. We always hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Joseph is the last 10 chapters, and his story is so profound. He is a magnificent picture of Christ. When you read his story, it's it's the prefiguration of Jesus Christ came, coming to save his people. Fantastic story. And every year when we talk about the feast or, or feasts of St. Joseph, we always have to talk about that Joseph for reasons of typology and stuff that we can get into down the road. But, you know, one of the things that we've been having fun with you over the, the past few years doing, Steve, is looking at uh, things that show up in the Bible, you know, livestock uh, weather patterns, <laughs> you know, foods, <laughs> all kinds of things that show up in the Bible. And one of the things that you usually point out at the beginning is, where's the first time that this word is mentioned in the Bible? Well, Genesis is almost always the first time that any of these words are mentioned in the Bible. It is, and, and all through the book I mention, here's the first time the word priest is used, the first time the word uh, maybe uh, prayer is used. But my favorite one, Matt, is the first time the word love is used. You would think it would be with Adam and Eve, but it's not. The first time the word love is used is preserved by the Holy Spirit until Genesis chapter 22, where it says, Abraham, God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, and take him to Mount Moriah. And it sounds a little bit like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And there's a reason for that, because the first time the word love is used is preserved for a father, for his only begotten son, because another father with only his only begotten son is going to take him up for an offering to the same place 2,000 years later. The second time the word love is used is also very strategically placed. Isaac falls in love with Rebekah and marries her. Isaac is the son of Abraham, the only begotten son, falls in love with Rebekah and marries her. And that's a picture of Jesus Christ loving his church. So the first time is of a father for loving his only begotten son. Second time is for a son loving his bride, Christ, and his church. Fantastic stuff in the book of Genesis when you dig into it. Well, especially when you think about that image of that marriage, and what does it produce? It produces Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, right? It is from that union yeah. that Israel is essentially born. I mean, there's just, yep. man, there's, there's layers upon layers upon layers here. Uh, but I guess kind of the final thing I was just going to ask you with just a moment left is— you know, someone might read this and say, oh, that's some interesting myth, uh, you know, but it's so long ago. How can we really know where any of these things ha- happened or how they took place? You've been to some of these places, right? I've been to all of the places mentioned, and they're there. And these places remember their past. 
And I could go on and explain how we know all of these things through archaeology and tradition and what even the local culture still remember today and the names of places that still carry the meaning from back in those days. But they are the this book of Genesis is the most important book in the Bible, in my mind, because it lays the foundation for everything else, who God is, how we got here, why he created us, why did sin and suffering and, and pain come into the world? What's the plan to fix it? Everything else in the Bible is based on the book of Genesis, which makes it a true history. It's God revealing things that we could never discover with our five senses. He is the revealing them to us so that we would understand the big picture. Very cool stuff. Well, Steve Ray, we've got your book linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. I encourage people to go check it out. It's from Ignatius Press. It's called Genesis, A Bible Study Guide and Commentary. Pray for us while you're in Poland, Steve. We appreciate you. Well, will do. Thank you. All right. Again, you can find Steve and all of the guests we talk to on a daily basis over at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're back with headlines right after this. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is the expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has another full day ahead on this pilgrimage to Lisbon, Portugal for World Youth Day. Yesterday, the Holy Father met with university students telling them there is no future without God. And a national network of pregnancy centers is celebrating a victory in court with the judge putting an injunction to block enforcement of a new law in Illinois that targeted pro-life pregnancy centers. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And want to wish a happy feast day to all the parish priests listening this morning on this feast of St. Yes. John Vianney, the patron saint. 
of Parish Priests. And Anna Mitchell, you were mentioning in our local hour that you have gotten to be in the same room with St. John Vianney's Incorrupt Heart. Yes, and uh, I am going to be talking more about that next hour with Father Thomas Berg um, when we discuss what it, when we're going to discuss what it, what it means to have a priestly heart. And I think that that is the real value of um, having, well, I mean, there are many reasons or many values to having a relic like that, the the incorrupt heart of St. John Vianney. But what a beautiful, I mean, like his entire body is not corrupt, but his heart is. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, what a, what a beautiful example of a guy who, you know, we were talking about, about this with Kevin Prendergast yesterday, who didn't you know, a hatch out of like a priest hatchery fully formed and perfect at right. every priestly skill. Yeah, exactly. Right? Who over time, you know, maybe overdid it at the beginning or, you know, needed some maturing along the way uh, or, or realized that he was focusing on certain things when he ought to be focusing on other things. I mean, here's a guy who knew uh, what he was called to, but still had to kind of work on formation. And uh, he's just a great model um, yeah. for those who think. You know, priest, hatch out of a hatch. Pray for us. This is the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Danielle Bean. You can find her at daniellebean.com to invite her to speak or lead a retreat. Listen to her girlfriend's podcast through goodcatholic.com and join the community over at girlfriendscommunity.com. Good morning, Danielle. 
Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine. And in light of World Youth Day, we're going to be talking about how parents can support their children when they go on a spiritual retreat or mission. So first off, is it hard to let them go, Danielle? I mean, especially when they're kind of young and it's going to be at least a couple of days away from home. Yeah, for sure. I always found that I did that with some trepidation. I guess I got better at it as with the younger kids. And then yeah. it was more like, go, this is good for you. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. You need this. Uh, but no, truly, it can be difficult, especially with your first child or, or one of your older kids or a sensitive child that, or especially if you have a child that's going through a difficult time and you know they really need to have a, a good experience either on a mission trip or on a retreat or in um, a youth faith-based event like World Youth Day, which is epic, right? Yeah. But I think it's it's really important for us as parents to recognize that these kinds of milestones, as bittersweet as they are, they're also just a real opportunity for us to step fully into that role of being a prayer warrior on behalf of our kids. It's a great first practice for when you're going to continue to pray for your kids when they're not under your roof anymore, when they're out in the world making their own decisions, and you've got no control over any of it. So I, wow. I always found that those trips, um, and my kids had some amazing experiences. I find that's a really beautiful way to kind of expand their minds about their faith. It's no longer just something you do at home or just something you do in your church, right? It, it really expands their horizons of where and how they practice their Catholic faith. Well, we know and talk all the time about how important it is for the parents to model good faith and to bring the faith into the home, into the domestic church. But as the kids get older, Danielle, how important is it for them to be able to experience the faith sort of, for lack of a better word, separated from their parents. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is so vitally important. And, you know, as your kids become young young adults or adolescents or teenagers, they really do have a normal stage of development where they are looking outside of that little bubble of their, their parents and their siblings, right? They're looking outside into the world for other examples and other people who they can learn from. And that's a real opportunity to put some good examples in your child's life. And, you know, for years we had um, a youth group leader here at, at our parish that I really sometimes referred to him as a third parent because he yes. truly played that role and is so grateful for that because there were many times, you know, when a kid is a teenager that they're not going to listen to what you have to say. In fact, the fact that you said it makes that makes it suspect in their minds, right? <laughs> but yeah. this is a, a normal part of development that they're beginning to look to other people and look beyond their immediate family, beginning to figure out who they are as independent human beings and really learning to make the faith their own. So what a beautiful opportunity to be praying and supporting our children in that way as they go through that. How did you pray for your children when they were away on retreat or mission? Um, a lot of times I prayed to their guardian angel. Yeah. And that's been something I've always done with my kids when, you know, beginning when they were very little, just knowing you've got this powerful spiritual ally who is devoted to your child, uh, probably more than you are, right? And knows them very well. So ask for protection, ask for guidance, ask for wisdom, ask for grace. And um, also praying to Mother Mary, because especially we moms, we we know that she gets it, right? She, yep. she understands and she's a mother to us all. So that means she's this beautiful, perfect heavenly mother to our children as well. She wants nothing but the very best things for them. So asking her 
to intercede on their behalf and, and pray for them to have you know, the grace that they need to get through a difficult time sometimes, but also to receive a, a powerful spiritual experience that sometimes is very life-changing. The things that go on on retreats or on these youth missions uh, really can change the course of a young person's life. So asking for Mary's guidance in that is a really powerful way to be prayerfully supporting your kids through the whole experience. And we know from our own experiences that you don't usually come home exactly the same. How do you, first of all, deal with that as a parent that you have, you 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 send off one kid. I mean, it's the same kid, obviously, but you send <laughs> off one kid and you have a slightly different kid coming home. How do you deal with that as a parent? And how do you help them sort of navigate that too? Because you want them right. to have that mountaintop experience, but be able to sustain it when they come home. Right, right. So I think it's really important to be having open conversations with your kids about that exact thing. You know, ask them how it went, not just, you know, don't accept just fine for the answer, right? Yeah, yeah. Ask them some, some specifics. Ask them, you know, what was your what was your favorite moment or what was something that stood out to you? What was something that was challenging for you? What was something that was hard? What did you think of the, the leaders? What did you, you know, ask those kinds of questions. Of course, spread out your questions so you don't pepper them like I just did because... <laughs> I know as a mom of young people that that's extremely annoying. Um, so, you know, <laughs> space space your questions but and space your conversations, but make sure you are engaging them and, and finding out, you know, what went on there and what they thought of it and how they're feeling about, you know, what their perspectives that might have changed, maybe some habits that they want to change. You know, I've had kids come home from retreats or different kinds of experiences and they want to make sure that they're they're getting to mass more often or they want to make sure they're going right to confession or something like that. Make sure you are supporting them in what their, their faith-based goals are at that point. Ask them about the specifics of that without being too prying and, and being open to the fact that some of that might feel very private to them and they, they won't share all of it with you. But really encouraging them to, to share about it and finding out how you can really support them in the next step in that that journey of their faith. We've been talking to Danielle Bean, and you can find her linked along with her girlfriend's podcast at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for today. Danielle, great, great conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. You too, Danielle. Thank you. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis has another full day on his pilgrimage to Lisbon for World Youth Day. Earlier today, the Holy Father spent some time hearing confessions of young people and is meeting with representatives of charitable organizations and other aid agencies in Portugal. Later today, he'll be presiding over the Way of the Cross with World Youth Day pilgrims. Yesterday, he met with members of the Scolas Acurantes community, made up of youth from different faiths and backgrounds. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. The worldwide Scolas movement for education, founded in 2013 and inspired by Pope Francis's call for the transformation of global education in the spirit of encounter and inclusion. The Pope listened to the testimonies of an evangelist, a Catholic and a Muslim, and responded to each of them. He encouraged them on their shared journey in a broken world that is rocked by chaos and marked by division. And he urged them to continue in their efforts to help create 
create a world where fraternity and care for each other will bring harmony. A mí me cuesta trabajo. Much of the conversation stemmed from the contemplation of a colourful wall painting decorating the hall in which the meeting took place. The chaos depicted in the painting, the Pope said, reflects the reality of the cosmos and of the lives of each of us. Life is transformed by the chaos of life and the cosmos, he noted, but it is up to each of us to find a path of truth and beauty. And accepting a paintbrush, the Pope added the conclusive touch to the scholar's mural, painting a circular stroke in green paint that blended seamlessly into the whole. He too had a painting, a gift for the students, consisting in an ancient oil-on-wood painting depicting the Good Samaritan. Pointing to the representation, he told the young people present never to be afraid of getting their hands dirty and urged them to always be there for those in need. Only by getting your hands dirty, he said, you will keep your hearts clean. I'm Linda Bordoni. Pro-life leaders are applauding a federal judge's decision to block enforcement of a new Illinois law targeting pro-life pregnancy centers because they encourage women to choose life over abortion for their unborn children. The Thomas More Society sued the state on behalf of the National Institute of Family Life Advocates. NIFLA President Thomas Glessner said, quote, This is a huge win for women and their families seeking assistance for an unplanned pregnancy, many of whom have nowhere else to go for help. It's also a big win, he said, for pro-life pregnancy centers whose First Amendment rights have been blatantly attacked by the state of Illinois, who want to force them to go against their deeply held beliefs that women deserve better than abortion. This is also a victory for a woman's fundamental constitutional right to choose life, end quote. Former President Trump has pleaded not guilty to trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Trump appeared in a Washington, D.C. federal courtroom yesterday following his indictment earlier this week. He's facing four counts, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. The Department of Justice claims the 2021 Capitol riot was fueled by Trump. Trump says the charges are an attempt by President Biden to interfere with the upcoming presidential election. He called it a sad day for America. The first hearing in the case is scheduled for August 28th. About half of Americans say the U.S. economy continues to get worse. Mark Mayfield has more. According to a CNN poll, 51 percent of Americans said the economy is continuing its downturn despite some positive indicators. U.S. GDP grew more than expected in the second quarter of 2023, and inflation has continued to subside. Another 28 percent said economic recovery hasn't begun yet, but conditions aren't getting worse. Only one in five said the economy is recovering from its recent issues. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, jobs numbers from July come out this morning, and analysts are expecting them to show about 200,000 non-farm positions added. That would be the smallest gain since December of 2020, if they're right. Unemployment is expected to hold at 3.6 percent. Wages are expected to rise slightly at 0.3 percent. The report is due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. That's the news. It's 35 past the... Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. 
Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. How unfortunate are those who fall from the tops of high mountains. When they fall from these heights, the poor creatures roll and roll without stopping, right to the bottom of the precipice. The same thing happens to those who fall spiritually because they do not persevere in the service of God. It is a strange thing. After a good beginning and perhaps persevering for thirty or forty years in the service of God, Just as they reach old age, when it is time to harvest the fruits of their labors, they tumble into the abyss of sin. How inscrutable are the divine judgments! No one must presume on his own ability to persevere or rely on his own goods, as if he had nothing to fear. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy Friday, everybody. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft is with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. He writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. And there is a special election coming up in Ohio on Tuesday, which would basically raise the threshold for amending the state constitution if it passes. And we've got a good number of Ohio listeners uh, listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. But Ken, tell us why our national audience at large should care about what seems like a very state-specific issue. Yeah, there, there are two reasons. One, if I might put it this way, is, is general, and then another is very specific. The general uh, reason is that Ohio is, first of all, a, a bellwether state, you know, 13 million people. It's a very significant state in the Midwest, and and it's, it's becoming more of a purple state than a blue or a red state. Uh, generally speaking, however, the way that this has happened in Ohio is very similar to the way that the abortion proponents are going to do it throughout the United States, and that is to pour in tens of millions of dollars from outside the state to try to change the law in Ohio and in other states. In other words, taking, and this is really ironic, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, taking away the initiatives from Ohioans by massive influxes of money from outside the state to try to change the law. And the way that they've done this is, now you've, you mentioned, of course, the, um, the, uh, uh, the um, proposed uh, constitutional amendment 
uh, to change the way that the Constitution is changed in Ohio. But but there's another bill, and that's the more important one, and that is the b- bill that would make uh, abortion on demand in Ohio legal uh, through a constitutional amendment. And we'll come back to that. The second more specific reason that Ohio is important and why this election is important is that the same type of thing is going on in at least two or three other states. Both Florida and Missouri, for example, have also uh, made, made uh, introduced initiatives to try to make it more difficult to change the constitution of the state. And why, why are both of those things important, both generally and specifically? They're important because state constitutions should not be the place where law is made or where regulations are made. State constitutions should be general principles of governance like the United States Constitution and therefore should be difficult to amend. And that the reason for that is that the way that people make law is through their elected representatives. That's the that's the American way, if you will, mm-hmm. to make law through elected representatives. These constitutional amendments take that initiative away from the voters to make law through their elected representatives, put it in the Constitution, which makes the Constitution bloated and which makes it more difficult for the citizens uh, to to change the law in their state through their elected representatives. You know, the United States Constitution, Annie, has been amended 17 times since 1789 when it was when it was uh, passed, when the Constitution was passed. Now, there are 27 amendments, but the first 10 of them were passed at the same time. Right. So it's been it's amended like 17 time. times. The Ohio Constitution, on the other hand, has been amended 172 times. And of course, there are two amendment uh, uh, proposals uh, upcoming in a special election uh, uh, in August and then general election in November. Okay, so let's look at this one that is in August because it is most immediate. And there's a lot yes. of confusion over this one because it's turned into such a divisive issue. I mean, contrary to the yard signs that you and I are seeing all around in uh, the Cincinnati area specifically, issue one is not actually about abortion, though it kind of is. Right. It's explain? not about abortion. It's a yes. Well, it kind of is because the proposal is meant and there, we will not be coy about this. The proposal is meant to do uh, to, to amend the Constitution. Yes. But to amend it before the November election, uh, because the November election has a proposal on the on the ballot, which uh, if the August election goes uh, uh, the way that we hope it goes, then it will make it more difficult for the November initiative to pass. So what does the August initiative do? First of all, in Ohio right now, to put a ballot proposal uh, before the voters to amend the Constitution, it takes 5% of the voters from only 44 of Ohio's 88 counties. In other words, you can cherry pick the counties. If you want to make a constitutional amendment, you cherry pick the counties where you know you can easily get signatures. And in Ohio, the three largest counties are where Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus are located, namely Cuyahoga, uh, Hamilton, and uh, Franklin counties. And you can ignore the rural counties, which probably would vote differently from the uh, from the um, more populous uh, urban centers. That it changes the the proposed constitution changes that to requiring signatures from all 88 counties, 5% of the voters from the last gubernatorial election from all 88 counties. The second thing that it does, and this is the really big ticket item, is it requires 60% of the voters 
to pass the ballot initiative to change the Constitution, even after it's been put on the ballot by getting these uh, these signatures to put it on. Right now in Ohio, to change the Constitution, it only requires 50% plus one person to change the Constitution. And again, that make that's far too easy to change a Constitution which is supposed to guide uh, the uh, to guide a state's uh, you know legal culture in a more broad and general way. And then it eliminates a cure period for bad signatures. Right now, what people will do is, t- is take signature from anybody without regard to whether or not the signature might be valid. For example, the person might not be uh, 18 years a- 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 of age or might not be registered to vote or might not even be a-, a resident of Ohio. And then the way it works now is you have 10 days to fix that if the signature is found to be invalid to get more signatures. And this new constitutional amendment would change that as well. Now, what are the implications? Well, you mentioned, I guess, already the implications for the November ballot initiative in Ohio, which would enshrine abortion in the state constitution. So if if the uh, August election passes, if if that issue passes, then that will take 60 percent of voters in Ohio to amend Ohio's constitution to enshrine abortion rights in the state and thus overturning the heartbeat law that we have on the books right now, but is currently under injunction. So that's correct. I'm just curious, Ken, what do you do you think? um, Well, I'm curious what you think are the the chances of uh, of issue one next week passing and then subsequently whether it go, you know, either way that it goes yeah. next next week, um, what you think could happen in November here in Ohio? Well, right. Well, first of all, the amendment is uh, as the, as a, a, a poll, the most recent poll that I've seen uh, conducted by Ohio Northern University. It's an absolute dead heat hmm. if you consider statistical error. Uh, if you don't consider statistical error, voting yes on issue one, which would uh, which would make it more difficult to amend the Constitution, a yes vote uh, is actually in the lead slightly. And that's wow. actually a change from the from recent polling. I'm so the needle is that. moving. Yeah, yeah, the needle is moving in a good way. What it would do is and so the, the November uh, initiative makes abortion legal on demand in Ohio. It basically institutes Roe v. Wade, except it's even worse because it, it takes away even the ability for parents to consent or even to know about their mm-hmm. uh, child's abortion. Uh, any minor can get an abortion under the language of the amendment. So if it passes, if 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 uh, issue one passes, then it'll make it much more difficult for that November ballot uh, to pass. I think that it won't. I don't think it'll get sixty yeah. percent. And I think that was the threshold that people had in mind when they proposed sixty percent to change the constitution. The other thing to note, Annie, and this is very important, is that if if issue one passes on the special August election, it will take effect immediately. So it has a direct impact on the November November. election. So in other words, it would cause that ballot in November to require 60%. I don't think it will get 60%. If you look at the Ohio uh, legislative chambers, and if you look at the the way that Ohio choose their legislatures and what they want their legislatures to do, I think that that, the amendment won't pass. And that takes us back to the the thing that we said earlier, and that is outside interest trying to change the law in Ohio. Uh, people who don't live in Ohio and money that 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 isn't from Ohio. Yeah, and like said, national audience, take note of what's happening in Ohio because 
as Ken was saying, it is a bellwether state for uh, what will probably be happening all across the country in the years to come. We've been talking to Ken Craycraft. Ken, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. Take care. You too. Thanks. All right. Father Hezekiah Carnasso joins us next. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Want to share your love for the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? We'd love for you to chime in today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we are looking ahead to the readings at Mass on Sunday, the Feast of the Transfiguration. And because of that, you actually have a special event going on over at the Institute this weekend. That's right. We do a live online Bible study. People can participate from wherever they're at, a free, in-depth Bible study on the Transfiguration. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 7, looking at Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be looking at the biblical text that the Church places before us for this great feast. And, you know, this is one of those feasts that I think a lot of people don't really have on their radar screen. I mean, we're looking forward to August 15th, the Assumption of Mary. But here... In, in preparation for the Assumption, is uh, something of the ascension, if you will, the ascension of the Lord, not into heaven, but kind of, because he goes on Mount Tabor, and the voice of the Heavenly Father comes down and says, this is my beloved Son. So in some sense, the preparation for what's going to take place in the life of Mary, but now taking place in the life of Christ on Mount Tabor, in the midst of the gospel story, in which Jesus has gone about his ministry in Galilee, and there's a whole debate going on uh, around him, swirling around him, and that is, who is this guy, right? It's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's a man. He, we know his mother. His brothers are here. But he's sure doing things that make him look like he's something more than just what meets the eye, just the man, right? We've been, he's been walking on water. He's been multiplying loaves and fishes. He's healing the blind, the paralytics. 
is this really the Messiah? Is this the son of David? Is this, as Daniel 7 says, the son of man riding on the clouds of heaven? And now Jesus is going to answer all these questions by going up on Mount Tabor, which has deep historical significance. Jesus chooses this mountain for a reason, and there on this mountain that he chooses, the clouds of heaven come down, and he begins riding upon them, fulfilling Daniel chapter 7. So we are going to—I don't want to give too many answers mm-hmm. to your questions. A- Annie, I just, just to point out to all of your listeners, the, 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 the Feast of the Transfiguration is extremely important in the gospel story. And if you understand it, you're going to understand much of what has come before in the gospel and what's coming, because Jesus is going to now make his way to Jerusalem uh, for the Passion, Death, Resurrection. And so the, the Transfiguration stands at this middle point between his ministry and his sufferings and glorification. Extremely important in biblical text, and we're going to be doing a one-hour deep Bible study on Saturday evening at the Institute of Catholic Culture that everyone can participate in. Yeah, and I have so many questions based on what you just said, but you're right. I'm going to leave them as little teases because I'm sure many of our listeners have those similar questions that they want to get answered, and uh, you're going to be doing a much deeper dive than what we can do in our time here on the morning show. So I guess what I will ask you to sort of get us prepared for this Feast of the Transfiguration on Sunday is, uh, as we look at the Gospel, we are in the first nine verses of Matthew chapter 17. But as you always say, a text without a context is no text at all, right? So take us back just a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Matthew to explain to us how, how chapter 16 really gets us set up for what happens on Mount Tabor. Well, the Transfiguration, Matthew 17, if you have your Bibles now, open your Bibles very quickly. Open, you see Matthew 17, this is the Feast of the Transfiguration, this is the event of the Transfiguration, but it's all based upon um, uh, what happens in Matthew 16. In fact, look at the first verse of chapter 17, six days after this. So after what? Well, after what has just happened. Well, what's just happened? And a very important conversation between Jesus and Peter. Now, this is most times as Catholics, we focus upon Matthew 16. Everybody knows Matthew 16, 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We've all memorized that. Mm-hmm. But, but really, this is not the healthiest way to study the Bible. And that is by focusing upon Peter instead of what we should be doing as Catholics is focusing upon Jesus, right? Our biblical text, our biblical reading always is Christocentric, and only if we understand who Jesus is, then we're going to understand who Peter and everyone else is in the gospel, right? A Christocentric reading is critically important. Who do men say that I am is the fundamental question. Of course, there's a, a, a question that, that precedes that, who is the Son of Man, in light of our, our lectionary reading, Daniel chapter 7. If we go back there and read that, we'll understand what Jesus is talking about. But then this all comes to a culmination. Who do, who do you say that I am? And Annie and all of your listeners, all the whole Sunrise Morning Show family, who do you say that he is? Is he the Christ? And, and, and then we're going to, obviously in our Bible study, we have to answer that question. What does Jesus mean, the Christ? And a, a short answer for you is this, that Peter in this moment commits treason. Because to say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that he is the king. 
And this moment, at this moment, Peter rejects the authority of the Romans, commits himself to Christ as his king, and the question remains for us, is he our king? And in application of this whole feast day, the question is, are we willing to follow our king as citizens of the kingdom? Because he is going to, he is going to rule over a kingdom which is quite other than this world, just as much as the experience on Mount Tabor was much other than our normal experience of this world. When the Father looks at a man, yes, his son, divine one, and says, this is my son, calling us once again into that relationship of sonship, that relationship of citizenship, because he is going to now go and be enthroned upon not a great human throne, but upon the throne of the cross. And he's going to rule now over this world in love by giving his life for us and inviting us to do just the same, to be not only Christians, as St. Augustine says, but Christ himself, to be to be one who is willing to be transfigured in our life into the one who was crucified for the salvation of the world. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to join you for that, and me, I'll be there too. Listeners want to join us for the uh, Transfiguration Bible Study on Saturday evening. How can they do so? Come visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org, instituteofcatholicculture.org, and sign up for our Bible study this coming Saturday evening, free of charge, instituteofcatholicculture.org. Instituteofcatholicculture.org is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you go to the live events page, click on Transfigured with Christ uh, for the Bible study and a virtual tour of some of the, the, the place where the transfiguration happened on Mount Tabor. There's a church there now. So, hope you'll join us. I'll be there to run the pre-class starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night. Hope to see you there. we got a full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. Now.com It is Friday, the 4th of August, the Feast of St. John Vianney. Let's pray his prayer for priests in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, please give to your church today many more priests after your own heart. May they be worthy representatives of Christ, the Good Shepherd. May they wholeheartedly devote themselves to prayer and penance, be examples of humility and poverty, shining models of holiness, tireless and powerful preachers of the Word of God, zealous dispensers of your grace in the sacraments. May their loving devotion to your Son, Jesus, in the Eucharist, and to Mary, his mother, be the twin fountains of fruitfulness for their ministry. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. John Vianney, pray for us. It is a better way to start a Friday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. 
Paul Lachman at the controls. And up this hour, Father Thomas Berg will be along. Uh, he is the author of, among other things, the book Choosing Forgiveness. He's going to talk about St. John Vianney and the heart of a priest. Of course, a priest's job is very much uh, helping to facilitate the forgiveness of Christ in the sacrament of confession. We'll check in with Andrew Pettiprin, uh Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, also Father Jonathan Duncan with a gospel preview for this Sunday and what we'll hear at Mass, so stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis has another full day on his pilgrimage to Lisbon for World Youth Day. Earlier today, the Holy Father spent some time hearing confessions of young people and then met with representatives of charitable and other aid agencies. Later today, he'll be presiding over the Way of the Cross with the World Youth Day pilgrims. Last night, he was present for the official welcome ceremony in Lisbon. He told those present, quote, God loves us as we are, not as we would like to be or as society would like us to be. He said, don't be afraid, have courage, go forward knowing that we are loved, end quote. Earlier yesterday, the Holy Father met with university students, telling them there is no future without God. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The Pope encouraged them to embrace their faith and take risks to change the world. The Holy Father's remarks came after listening to students' testimonies. Make your faith credible through your choices, the Pope told them. For unless faith gives rise to convincing lifestyles, the Pope said it will not be a leaven in the world. It is not enough for us Christians to be convinced, he explained, saying we must also be convincing. Our actions, the Holy Father exhorted, are called to reflect joyfully and radically the beauty of the gospel. He also urged them to be amazed by the beauty of Christ revealed through every brother and sister, every man and woman, and also told the students the contribution of women is indeed essential. La contribución femenina es indispensable. The Pope went on to recall that the Global Compact on Education, with its seven overarching principles, encompasses many key issues to which he urged the students to dedicate their attention. I encourage you to study the Global Compact and to become enthusiastic about its contents, he said. Pope Francis appealed to the young people to protect the environment. We must recognize, he said, the dramatic urgency of caring for our common home. He said in the name of progress, there has been too much regression. The Holy Father, who had met with Ukrainian young pilgrims prior to the encounter, also pointed to the the wars plaguing the world, saying that we are experiencing a third world war in pieces. But, he said, we embrace the risk of thinking that we are not in agony, but in childbirth, not at the end, but at the beginning of something great. Pope Francis urged the university students not to be paralyzed by fear and rather to transform their fears into dreams. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A national network of pregnancy centers is celebrating a victory in court with a judge putting an injunction to block enforcement of a new law in Illinois that targeted pro-life pregnancy centers because they encourage women to choose life over abortion. The Thomas More Society was representing NIFLA, executive vice president and head of litigation. Peter Breen said in a statement, quote, across the nation, pregnancy help ministries are being discriminated against by laws that target their life-affirming work. The injunction granted today sends a strong, clear message to the country that the First Amendment protects pro-life speech. Former President Trump is pleading not guilty to trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. 
Trump appeared in a Washington, D.C. federal courtroom yesterday following his indictment earlier this week. He's facing four counts, including conspiracy to defraud the U.S. The Department of Justice claims the 2021 Capitol riot was fueled by Trump. Trump says the charges are an attempt by President Biden to interfere with the upcoming presidential election. The first hearing in the case is scheduled for August 28th. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is warning of global food insecurity caused by Russia's war in Ukraine. Mark Mayfield reports. In remarks before the United Nations, Blinken called out Moscow for pulling out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which allowed Ukrainian exports of grain to continue. Blinken said grain prices jumped by more than 8% since Russia's decision several weeks ago. He said Russia's weaponization of food harms millions of vulnerable people around the globe. I'm Mark Mayfield. And just quick note here, Matt. We are celebrating the Feast of St. John Vianney, of course, today. Of course. Um, It's also National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. Mm. FYI. Well, get your priest some chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. There you go. Problem solved. That's uh Go that's ahead, the, make your make your comment, your usual comment I'm on here. I is that the the more that saints disappear from the calendar, the more we just give random foods their own feast days. The more that we ignore the liturgical calendar. But, you know, I do think it's an interesting conversation to have when we have things like National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day, you know, the trying to um I don't know, capitalize on our liturgical sensibilities like our innate liturgical sensibilities as human beings it is written into us being yeah, made in the image something. and after the likeness of god and if so nothing else you know we'll uh we'll make another awareness month for something some of those are good some of those are good but uh you know Did nobody you know... needs to know like toenail fungus awareness month is that october well you know what I'm just saying, we got some stuff built in. There's plenty of reasons to celebrate and think and reflect. Today is immaculate. Well, this month is Immaculate Heart Awareness Month. Immaculate Heart Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. What color do we wear? I guess blue for blue. Our Lady. Yeah, I guess that would blue. work. Yeah, you wear blue for Immaculate Heart of Mary Awareness Month. There you go. I like it. There you go. We got it, guys. We got it. Well, we are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on this Friday, August the 4th. It's eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and we're happy to welcome back Father Thomas Berg. He's director of seminary admissions and a professor of moral theology at St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody. Good morning, Father Berg. Welcome back. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. And we are going to be looking at St. John Vianney as a model of the priesthood. Of course, his feast day is today. Now, Father, a few years ago, I was quite blessed to attend a prayer service here in Cincinnati with a relic of St. John Vianney. It was the relic of his heart. And I remember at the time being very determined to have my then one-year-old son be there so that he could see the heart of a priest. And I know that this is a big question, but what forms the heart of the priest, and how do we see that in St. John Vianney? Well, that's a beautiful question, and what a beautiful experience. Um, the thing that jumps out to me as I you know, reflect and meditate on 
St. John Vianney is that he was a spiritual father, um, spiritual fatherhood, which is really at the heart of the priesthood. And any priest who is thriving uh, today is experiences that spiritual father in his ministry to, to the lay faithful. And that is really, you know, in terms of seminary formation and forming young men uh, to be the next generation of priests, that's the goal. That's the huge, big goal. We want, when the day of ordination, we want these men to have the heart of spiritual fathers. And, you know, that's, that's what we're aiming at. And that's, um, that's obviously a, a, a huge project. And, you know, there's obviously things today, and, and most of our men are coming, coming into seminary today, especially at the college level, or are members of Generation Z. And, you know, they face, this generation faces some particular challenges to growing into spiritual fathers. You know, I mean, I think in two things. I mean, just the culture of gratification on demand. Unfortunately, porn, uh, pornography at their fingertips. Um, it's the most anxious generation in history, the self-absorption at times, the narcissism. And our guys have obviously not been immune to that. What we're trying to do with God's grace is to help these young men who so generously are hearing this call to get free, to discover the freedom necessary to love the people of God, free from anything that holds them bound interiorly. And that could include, unfortunately, um, a habit of uh, pornography. Um, it could include. It can include other forms of narcissism that grown up in the the like culture, you know. And I think one of the most important things that some seminaries are doing, uh, dioceses are mandating that the guys uh, early on, at some point, as they uh, begin the process of formation, take what's called a spirituality year, uh, which is a year entirely dedicated precisely to this, to getting free, to discover those areas where they're held bound, where they're not free interiorly, a year free from a nine-month fast from social media. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, From, uh, you know, and and really, you know, it it has to be kind of radical. And and guys, if you're listening out there, you know, young men thinking, praying, and being open to the call. One of the best things that any young man could do, uh, even before you get to the seminary, uh, go for nine months. Get off of social media. <laughs> go uh, mm-hmm. buy a flip phone. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of, ditch, ditch the iPhone. Um, because if we're going to love the people of God as spiritual fathers, we have to have that freedom to give ourselves. And and really, that's what. John Vianney speaks to us uh, of so beautifully uh, on his feast day. Well, Father, I know that you have worked with victims of men who betrayed their priesthood through sexual abuse. And with that in mind, can you speak that we as the faithful, how we need to have priests who are pure in heart? Well, absolutely. And, and you know, that this, I should um, I shouldn't single out uh, our Gen our Gen Z young people. Unfortunately, this culture of sensual gratification on demand, porn at your fingertips, uh, that can affect anyone. Uh, unfortunately, any priest at any point in his life can uh, become susceptible to that. That you know, just 
any opening to that, it's, it's like throwing acid on the beautiful divine image that is within us. And it's, it's absolutely corrosive to the heart of a priest. So uh, the great challenge of priesthood is to, with God's grace, to, or at, the, at the beginning through formation, to uh, come to a place of freedom from that, and then to live in that freedom and persevere in that freedom and never to become bound up and chained uh, to ha- habits, especially of sexual licentiousness, infidelity to the commitment to celibate love for the church. Um, that's, that's the great challenge. Um, and um, thankful today, I think, I hope all of your listeners would be thankful today for the many, many, many courageous priests, the vast majority who are striving and struggling to live that commitment and love and to give themselves as spiritual fathers uh, to their communities, to their parishioners, uh, to the people of God. Absolutely. And St. John Vianney is is such a, a great example that we have in, in history, but so many men who who have the heart for the Lord. And, and he spoke of this, St. John Vianney did, of the power of the priesthood when when you have someone who is truly committed to the Lord and his sacraments. Yes, absolutely. No, so so beautifully it, it, it it's like he he kind of stood in awe and I, I think most so many of us experienced that too the awe of the sacrament and the awe of what God does in and through a priest and you can never quite get to the end of that uh, and and um, you have to have that awareness. But, of course, all of that is fed primarily by, by one's own understanding of that relationship that, as a priest, I have with the Blessed Trinity, that, I, that I'm blessed to have with our Lord. It's everything that a priest does, that a priest is, everything that happens in the formation, both in seminary and after seminary, um, it's all anchored in that personal love, that that love of God, that love of our Lord. We have to have, the heart of a priest has to be anchored in Jesus. There's just no other way to live and become a happy, healthy, holy priest in the 21st century. For sure. Thank you so much, Father Thomas Berg. You can find his book, Choosing Forgiveness, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. 
Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis will preside over the Way of the Cross with World Youth Day pilgrims later today. Earlier today, he heard confessions and met with representatives of charitable and other aid agencies in Portugal. A national network of pro-life pregnancy centers is celebrating a victory in court, and former President Trump is pleading not guilty to the latest indictment against him. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, want to uh, direct some of our listeners uh, who may be interested in the topic to a video we just put out with um, Coming Home Network. Uh, Rachel Ballman was on uh, the Sunrise Morning Show recently. She mm-hmm. wrote a new book called uh, Becoming Wife, yep. uh, saying yes to more than the dress. And uh, when she was in town to tape the journey home uh, last year, we recorded some other stuff with her, including something uh, kind of related to that topic, which is... Uh, her experience of growing up in uh, evangelical youth group, quote unquote, purity culture. Maybe you've uh, I've heard, heard of, this. of purity culture, but was I mean, I grew up Catholic. So well, in purity culture, just so you know, it's a lot of like what you can and can't do on a date. And by the way, you being a woman are part of the temptress class. Oh, you know, right, right, right. You guys right, are, right, yeah. You know, and and uh, there's, there's a lot nothing, of nothing. There's a lot it. of yeah. Calvinist concept of total depravity that kind of underpins the whole thing mm-hmm. um about how you're a you're a terrible person and you just need to to repent well um rachel did a video for us for the coming home network a sh- sort of short one but that shows how she went from that worldview of thinking that she was terrible and here's what's wrong and what you can't do to kind of discovering um the i mean essentially kind of an opposite ideology of that in theology of the body in oh, which you yeah. are created good mm-hmm. in which you are redeemed by God and built for relationship in which man and woman are all part of like this extraordinary plan of God yeah. uh, in which we all sort of play a role and, and it really kind of it's about what it means to be human as opposed to what you are and are not allowed to do yeah. And it's a great re- reflection. I'm going to uh, share it on our Facebook page, oh, especially awesome. for anybody who's uh, come from that kind of a background and is looking for a freer way to understand. So check out our Facebook page, sunrisemorningshow.com. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. 
Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Remember, O most loving heart of Jesus, that they for whom I pray are those for whom you prayed so earnestly the night before your death. These are they to whom you look to continue with you in your sorrows when others forsake you, who share your griefs and have inherited your persecutions according to your word, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Remember, O heart of Jesus, that they are the objects of the world's hatred and Satan's deadliest snares. Keep them then, O Jesus, in the safe citadel of your sacred heart, and there let them be sanctified in truth. May they be one with you and one among themselves, and grant that multitudes may be brought through their word to believe in you and love you. Amen. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Andrew Pettiprin, who has uh, a lot to say about a lot of things uh, in a lot of places, including at Catholic World Report, where he's been doing some film reviews and cultural commentary, uh, especially on kind of three of the the films that have caused a lot of conversation in the culture lately. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So you somehow managed to tie in Oppenheimer... Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, and the new Wes Anderson movie <laughs> in a conversation. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, as you saw these three films, which we've talked about in various ways on this program before, what were some themes that you saw that were running through and kind of tying them all together, especially kind of in this weird sort of post-COVID rise of artificial intelligence moment we're in right now? Yeah, yeah, Matt. Well, when I saw those three movies, Oppenheimer, Asteroid City, and uh, the new Mission Impossible film, I was thinking about kind of the problem of scientism, which is like, what are, wh- where are we going as a world now where we're always innovating, we're always sort of, you know, moving forward to the next thing, the next sort of great discovery, uh, the next innovation that our scientists are working on, without really pausing to ask what, what what the reason is for it, or what the good will be that will result from it, um, namely the good related to our our faith in God and God's will for humanity. And so in a movie like Oppenheimer, it's just really stark how you see the greatest minds of a particular generation represented by Robert Oppenheimer, um, you know, working through this these theories of what to do with atoms, and then the result is that they create the means to destroy the entire world, you know? So it's, you know, you sort of have to pause and, and sort of think, wait a minute, now we need, to, we need to kind of take stock of what we're doing with our genius these days, you know? And then, you know, Asteroid City, 
maybe not a lot of our listeners will have seen that one, but that's the new one from Wes Anderson, and it takes place in the 1950s amid that, that cultural feeling that some listeners may remember where, you know, things were really great in America after World War II, but also there was kind of this underlying anxiety that existed because, you know, everybody was sort of waking up to the reality that, oh my goodness, we're in this arms race now. We're in this Cold War. We're in this, this new world where things feel so uncertain in so many different ways. And then, you know, lastly, uh, the Mission Impossible film, that, that brings it right up to the present day. And boy, is that a fun movie. I just, I had so much fun watching that movie at, on the big screen. And in fact, I think I'm going to go again this weekend because I enjoyed it so much. But, you know, that's a movie where it brings us up to our current issues in science that, I mean, the old ones are still with us. We still have, you know, atomic weapons, unfortunately. But now we have this question of artificial intelligence. Like, what does it mean to be a human now in relation to our screens and to our you know, day-to-day activities that are increasingly assisted by this technology that is, you know, kind of beyond, beyond us. So a lot of big questions in these big films this summer. All right. So I could not help but think as I was reading your article and, you know, have been thinking about Oppenheimer and artificial intelligence and all the things that we've kind of made. Um, well, first of all, I, I can't help but think about the Tower of Babel, but there's, oh, yeah. there's also... Um, I have uh, I have dug out my copy of Thomas Merton's Raids on the Unspeakable. It's not one of his better known works, but he reflects mm. a lot on like these kinds of things. And uh, this is from a chapter of his uh, called Prometheus: A Meditation. I wonder if you have any thoughts on this because I it, your article immediately made me think of this passage. Uh, he says the small gods men have made for themselves, and in this case, we could talk about things like AI and the bomb. He says, the small gods men have made for themselves require at once heroism and despair. The man who does not know the living God is condemned by his own gods to this despair because knowing that he has made his own gods, he can't help hoping that he'll be able to overthrow them. Alas, he realizes too late that he has made them immortal and they must eventually devour him. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's kind of what you feel as you're reading and watching things about what were we doing when we made the bomb? What are we doing as we make artificial intelligence? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a, that reminds me of a line from C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man, where he says, um, when, when man realizes he has con- his total conquest of nature, he actually realizes it's nature's conquest of him. Um, so, you know, it, it, and this is the feeling that you get watching that movie Oppenheimer. It, it, there is this kind of scientific heroism that Oppenheimer is is living, you know, as he's like on this quest to create this thing. And then suddenly you realize he wakes up after the fact and he, yeah, he realizes that it's not only defeated him, but all of us in, in a manner of speaking. So I think that is the real issue that we have, that we have to face. And you mentioned Babel before. I mean, that, that is, you know, that was just completely what came to, to my mind when I was thinking through some of these, these latest scientific innovations, that we're just sort of building this tower, uh, and uh, in a sense it's real pride in the face of God, uh, rather than a kind of humility for God, and using the talents that our greatest minds have in order to serve Him and to serve humanity. Well, and I think that's where it, where it comes down, and this is a whole other conversation uh, as well, is why are we making the things? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why is it that we're making stuff? Uh, you know, yeah. what is the, what is the point? And what is the point of the scientific research as well? Is it to understand the handiwork of God, or is it to 
you know, push the envelope and see what's possible. Um, is it to improve the life of individual humans or is it to make an efficient future humanity that consists entirely of a specific kind of human? Uh, I mean, this is these are bigger questions that I don't know are being asked uh, as well as they ought to, but there's certainly questions the church has asked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so, well, if our listeners want to find your article, Andrew Pettiprin, where do they go to do so? Uh, go to Catholic World Report, and you should see it right there on the main page. The Bomb and the Babble of the Self is what it's called. Uh, we've also got andrewpettiprin.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much, Andrew. Have a great day. You too, Matt. Thank you. Again, Andrew and all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Put in your email while you're there and subscribe. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis continues his pilgrimage in Lisbon for World Youth Day today. He'll be presiding over the Way of the Cross later this evening. Earlier, he met with some young people hearing their confessions and also met with representatives of charitable and other aid organizations. He spoke to them of the importance of concrete love in action. He said, quote, if we want to be truly happy, then let us learn to transform everything into love, offering to others our work and our time, speaking kindly words and doing good deeds with a smile and embrace by listening or even with a look, end quote. Last night, the Holy Father was present at the official welcome ceremony for World Youth Day in Lisbon. He told them Quote, God loves us as we are, not as we would like to be or as society would like us to be. He said, don't be afraid, have courage, go forward knowing that we are loved. Yesterday, earlier yesterday, the Holy Father met with members of the Scolas Ocorrentes community made up of youth from different faiths and backgrounds. From Vatican Radio. Linda Bordoni reports. The worldwide scholars movement for education, founded in 2013 and inspired by Pope Francis's call for the transformation of global education in the spirit of encounter and inclusion. The Pope listened to the testimonies of an evangelist, a Catholic and a Muslim, and responded to each of them. He encouraged them on their shared journey in a broken world that is rocked by chaos and marked by division. And he urged them to continue in their efforts to help create a world where fraternity and care for each other will bring harmony. Much of the conversation stemmed from the contemplation of a colourful wall painting decorating the hall in which the meeting took place. The chaos depicted in the painting, the Pope said, reflects the reality of the cosmos and of the lives of each of us. Life is transformed by the chaos of life and the cosmos, he noted, but it is up to each of us to find a path of truth and beauty. And accepting a paintbrush, the Pope added the conclusive touch to the scholar's mural, painting a circular stroke in green paint that blended seamlessly into the whole. He too had a painting, a gift for the students, consisting in an ancient oil-on-wood painting depicting the Good Samaritan. Pointing to the representation, he told the young people present never to be afraid of getting their hands dirty and urged them to always be there for those in need. Only by getting your hands dirty, he said, you will keep your hearts clean. I'm Linda Bordoni. Pro-life leaders are applauding a federal judge's decision to block enforcement of a new Illinois law targeting pro-life pregnancy centers because they encourage women to choose life over abortion for their unborn children. The Thomas More Society sued the state on behalf of the National Institute of Family Life Advocates. 
NIFLA president Thomas Glessner said in reaction, quote, this is a huge win for women and their families seeking assistance for an unplanned pregnancy, many of whom have nowhere else to go for help. It's also a big win for pro-life pregnancy centers whose First Amendment rights have been blatantly attacked by the state of Illinois, who want to force them to go against their deeply held beliefs that women deserve better than abortion. This is also, he said, a victory for women's constitutional right to choose life, end quote. Former President Trump has pleaded not guilty to trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Trump appeared in a Washington, D.C. federal courtroom yesterday following his indictment this week. He's facing four counts, including conspiracy to defraud the U.S., the Justice Department claims the 2021 Capitol riot was fueled by Trump. Trump says the charges are an attempt by President Biden to interfere with the upcoming presidential election. About half of Americans still say that the U.S. economy continues to get worse. Mark Mayfield reports. According to a CNN poll, 51% of Americans said the economy is continuing its downturn despite some positive indicators. U.S. GDP grew more than expected in the second quarter of 2023, and inflation has continued to subside. Another 28% said the economic recovery hasn't begun yet, but conditions aren't getting worse. Only one in five said the economy is recovering from its recent issues. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, the latest jobs numbers are expected to come out later today at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is actual grace? Actual grace is that help of God which enlightens our mind and moves our will to shun evil and to do good not only do I need grace that precedes my action, I also need grace in that very moment. Actual grace, then, is what happens in the very moment. Let's say I see a poor man and he's on the street, and I think to myself, well, should I help him or not? If I reach into my pocket and I give him what I have, well, then it's actual grace moving me at that very moment to perform that action. Or if I'm prompted to pray, that's grace preceding my action. And then when I do pray, Actual grace is moving me all through that prayer. God enlightens my mind through actual grace so that way I might know what the good thing to do is. And he moves my will beyond myself so that I might reach that higher plane wherein I imitate Christ. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Friday morning. Bobby Schindler is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Annie. So the organization, well, I don't know if you can call it, I guess it's an organization. The Uniform Law Commission is considering revisions to what's known as the Uniform Determination of Death Act. Now, what is the Uniform Law Commission and what is this Uniform Determination of Death Act? Right. So, so Annie, so all this encouraging news that we talk about uh, regularly on the program regarding uh, brain recovery and brain injury and helping patients, all this news coming out. So what is this, you know, the Uniform Law Commission going to do? They're going to make it easier to end the lives of people with brain injuries. So, you know, make sense out of that. So... Yeah, so going back to your question, the Uniform Law Commission, um, they, 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 are, uh, they were established in 1892, so well over 100 years ago, and they provide, and I'm reading this from their, their website, they provide state with nonpartisan, well-conceived, and well-drafted legislation that brings clarity and stability to critical areas of statu- stat- state stat- statutory law. So that's the role of the Uniform Law Commission. And back in 19, uh, 1980, uh, they provided a legal definition of death, or in other words, what you mentioned, the Uniform Determination of Death Act, or, short, or known as the UDDA. So now uh, the, 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 uh, ULC uh, is, is considering revisions uh, in this, because, and I guess one of the reasons is the medical consensus claims, and, and, and this is I'm reading from an article uh, from the Federalist, Sarah Sands-Ulunch, who wrote about this. And basically, medical consensus claims that common protocols to determine brain death were not followed, resulting in mistakes. So essentially, so here's, what, here's my interpretation of, of what's going on, Annie. And, and, and I think the, this article in the Federalist traces and basically makes the same argument. Back in, in as early as it was 2000, well, see, medical advance has changed uh, and since 19, since this uh, determination of death was first established in 1980. Sure. Medical events have changed, and what was happening, families were starting to learn more and more about conditions, medical conditions, were starting to push back on this brain death diagnosis. And then 2013, flash, uh, fast forward, the Jahai McMath case, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yes, I remember. Right. A uh, young girl went in for tonsil surgery, complications, uh, went, lack of oxygen, received a, or sustained a severe brain injury and was declared brain dead. And a nasty fight broke out between Children's Hospital out in Oakland and the family. And ultimately, Jahai was declared brain dead. The, uh, the family wanted time. Uh, after a series of events, uh, she was able to be transferred to New Jersey where she, was, she, she continued to live for five years, in fact, we became pretty close with the family. We still are to this day. But, but you know, Annie, it's funny because since that case, we started to get more and more calls from families that were that were that were fighting this whole brain death diagnosis. And I think more and more families, because they saw the Jahai case and that she lived through the brain death diagnosis, because it made such national publicity. I think more and more families were pushing back on the brain death diagnosis and fighting it. And I think that's why it seems to me that might be partly 
of what's triggering this the, the ULC to change the Uniform Determination of Death Act. Uh, so families no longer have the power or, or um, the, a way to fight back the way they were fighting back uh, prior to these changes that are being considered. So I hope for you all that makes sense. I can talk about more, but, but I'll stop there and, and perhaps maybe you have some questions. We can fill in the gaps here. Yeah, and I think that the U.S. bishops spoke up about this just recently along with the National Catholic Bioethics Center. I may be, um, I may be conflating two things here, but they put out a statement rather recently about the concerns that uh, brain death and the, the, well, the determination of quote-unquote brain death is not actually going to line up with real biological death, that they're actually going to expand this definition of brain death um, to a, a point that we really won't know whether they've actually undergone a bodily death. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's basically making the language more subjective when it comes to brain death, and and I don't want to get into the minutia of the wording. It's it's kind of confusing and complex, but it puts more power into the hands of the decision making power into the hands of the doctors. In fact, if you go back to this article, Annie, that that uh, this uh, the woman I mentioned, Sarah wrote, Sarah Sanunj, and the Federalist, basically. They're saying the re- this is what the reasons for the change are, and, and listen to this. To make it more difficult for families, especially families of minor children, to file suit against hospitals attempting to remove their child's life support. Number two, to free up hospital beds and other medical resources. And three, to make available more organs for harvesting and donation. Yeah. And, I, and I think there, there is the, uh, one of the big, the, you know, for me, one of the big primary reasons is the whole, you know, the, the donation because of the great demand for organs and, and how that ties into the brain death diagnosis. But, but you look at this, Danny, and you read the reasons why they want to change this, and, and, and it's all taking more and more decision-making power out of the hands of the families and parents and putting it into the hands of these doctors so they can make it easier to, to diagnose brain death to end the person's life much quicker. And, and they're already, they're already and we talk about it all the time and, and how quickly they're coming to these determinations, but because... You know, there's been so much pushback. And, and you're right, uh, you know, fortunately, Annie, we are seeing a lot of pushback on these changes. And, and, and the meeting with the, the uh, ULC was last week. So I, I, I think we're going to learn soon. Uh, and, and we submitted a letter. The, the Life and Hope Network submitted a letter. The task force that, that I work, uh, work with, uh, the members there and the organizations there submitted letters all to the ULC urging them not to make these changes, and, and we'll see the decision they come to hopefully soon and that they'll reconsider making any changes to what's already previously you know, in the book, so to speak. If they do expand and make it easier for a doctor to declare someone brain dead, I mean, is there any recourse to try to reverse their decision? Well, I, you know, there's, there's always, I, you know, families could always fight it, but, but, I, but that, that's, I think, the point here. They're, they're going to make it harder for families to, to fight this, and, and, and legally they're going to make it harder for families to fight this, and they're going to have more uniformity because right now I think state by state there, there's different protocols, and, and, they're not, and not all the states are following uh, the guidelines for brain death determinations, which makes it more confusing and, and, and also uh, is, is why families are pushing back. So with this, 
I, I think this is going to make it much more difficult for families to, to question the diagnosis, and therefore, uh, when someone is determined brain dead, uh, they're going to be able to act much quicker to end that, end that patient's life and, and not give them the chance. And we talk about it all the time, and that's what I said starting out the program. With all this, with all this, the encouraging news coming about how the brain needs time and, and, and the technology available to help the brain injured, you would think that, that we would want to change it to give, give the patient more time, but yet now we're, we're putting you know, stricter con- control on families so they can't question the decisions and allowing doctors to, to end the lives of these patients quicker. Yeah, I mean, I guess my question is, um, could this whole issue end up in court? Could a family challenge the, uh, the commission's decision here and, um, and try to get a more limited definition of brain death back on the books? That's a great question, Annie. I, 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 that, that's a, I don't know. I, I guess that's a good question for an attorney to, to ask, uh, because you know, hopefully there is, there can be some way to to, to do just that. And uh, because if it, if it does become so one-sided, and, and families are really left out, there's no due process, which is, you know, we see that a lot today in these hospitals where there's no due process given to the families. Yeah. But that's even, you know, that's even more difficult, perhaps there is a way that they, they, they can you know, legally challenge this decision. Well, certainly I know you'll be watching us and keeping us updated on the issue. You can find the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network linked at sunrisemorningshow.com so you can check out all the good work they're doing and perhaps support it as well. Bobby Schindler, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. God bless you. You too. Thank you, Bobby. All right, it's uh, coming up on 13 Till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Jonathan Duncan joins us next. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. 
Want to share your love for the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? We'd love for you to chime in today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues as we head towards the Feast of the Transfiguration this weekend. Actually lines up on the Sunday. And we get to talk about it with Father Jonathan Duncan, a priest of the Diocese of Charleston, South Carolina. And it's always great to catch up with him. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. Yeah, I'm struck that the Transfiguration of the Lord, we get... uh, we get to talk about it usually twice a year and on sort of opposite sides on the calendar because we usually get it during Lent, uh, which is about six months ago, and then we get it again in August. Um, it's interesting to me that this is a, you know such a mysterious event in the life of Christ, and yet the Church wants us to focus on it pretty much twice a year. Well, you know, it is it is interesting when you consider all the other events, and yet we hear, and we'll hear this in the epistle this Sunday, the second letter of of St. Peter, that he thought this event was significant enough to remark about it. So, you know, we'll hear him say, uh, you know, we're not following myths here with the gospel. These aren't myths that have been made up. We had been eyewitnesses to his glory. And, of course, he's not talking about his glory in a general sense, but the glory that's revealed at the Transfiguration. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. We saw, we heard the voice of the Father. We saw his glory. So Peter certainly considers that moment significant enough to relate in his own epistle, describing the transfiguration kind of from his perspective. Um, And it's important to realize that that moment was not somehow a change in the Lord Jesus but rather it's the veil coming down such that the three, Peter, James, and John, are able to see to a greater degree the reality of who this friend and teacher of theirs, Jesus of Nazareth, truly is. And, of course, they would get this in its fullness at the resurrection and with the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost that would enable them to understand and to proclaim Jesus as Son of God and Son of Mary, as, as fully God, as the divine Son of the Father, but they get this glimpse of it at the Transfiguration. Um, the word that's kind of at the center of this, this encounter is that word glory in Hebrew, kabod. And it's important for us to realize that while, while that word certainly does and can mean uh, brightness, and, and you get that sense Uh, from the encounter they have on the mountain. It also, in Hebrew, uh, has has the meaning of heaviness, heaviness in terms of, like, significance, kind of the same way we speak about heaviness in terms of something has gravity or has gravitas. That means that person has significance, has weight. And it's here that the three get a sense for exactly how much weight, how much significance their teacher, their friend, their master, Jesus of Nazareth, has as he stands next to the law and the prophets embodied by the two great figures, Moses and Elijah, standing near them, and then Jesus himself, the Logos, left alone, the definitive Word of God. So this must have been such a weighty 
glorious, powerful moment for St. Peter in his life. It's so fascinating to me. The, uh, the passage that we hear in Peter's epistle, uh, which is what I am immediately drawn to here, because you've got the story, the narrative. People know the narrative part. What's fascinating to me is what Peter thought about this whole thing later on, because we hear in the gospel that Jesus tells them at the time, don't tell anybody that, <laughs> you know, that uh, what you saw here until after I've been raised from the dead, which is probably also another, you know, kind of, you know, head spinning thing for them to, to hear going back down the mountain. Uh, but Peter says uh, in the course of this passage that we're going to hear, you know, we possess the prophetic message it is altogether reliable. You do well to be attentive to it. Right. He says, we ourselves heard this voice from heaven. He's basically saying Christ is the ultimate authority. We have the authority to tell you that he is the ultimate authority. And this verse, this passage we hear, stops short at 2 Peter 1.19. Well, you know what 2 Peter 1.20 says? 2 Peter 1.20 says, uh, Know this first of all, there is no prophecy of Scripture that is a matter of personal interpretation. So Peter is almost anticipating... You know, I look the idea that people are going to have a lot of different kinds of experiences with God uh, that might cause them to have their own different spins on Scripture. But he's saying, you got to pay attention to the people who have been there, right? Who have this deposit of faith, who have this experience, who have this unique authority because Christ selected them to come get that authority, that get that experience, right? Christ appointed them in a unique way by inviting them up that mountain to see him in that way. Absolutely. Those first apostles were primarily witnesses. They were telling others what they had seen and heard. And Christianity is all about the life of witnesses. To have faith is to believe something on the word of another, to trust the witness of another. Uh, to trust the testimony of another. And Peter is writing to these early Christians who probably, you know, would, would never have even seen the Lord Jesus' like, earthly face. He's writing to a community where most of them probably were converts, who never saw the things that Peter saw or the things that James and John saw. And yet he is saying, I am trustworthy. And he's inviting them to have faith, which is to believe based on the testimony, based on the authority of another, of, of someone who witnessed this glory and this greatness, uh, and to judge for themselves whether it was merely something made up or whether it was actually a true witness to the glory and presence and authority of the Lord Jesus. And, of course, the uh, apostles who were up there on the mountain bore witness with their very lives. Peter suffering martyrdom, James suffering martyrdom, John suffering exile for the faith, uh, you know, and who knows how that all ended up. It's a They're reliable story. witnesses. They yep. were there, uh, and they told people what they saw, and those people told other people down to the present day. Father Jonathan Duncan, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. That wraps it up for this Friday, August the 4th. It's the Feast of St. John Vianney, and he is the patron saint of parish priest, so... Uh, wish your pastor a happy feast day. Happy feast day to all the pastors listening right now. Please do check out all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Enter your email and subscribe to get show notes delivered to your inbox daily along with the prayers we pray every morning. Until next week, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. Cooperative 